you know, obviously the most important job is keep baby alive. That's the nurse's focus, the doctor's focus. You know, the nurses are the ones with them for 12 hours, eight hours, whatever it might be. Doctors are kind of in and out, but you realize, you know, that's their main job. But secondarily would be, I think that family-centered care. And that's why Finn the Panda even became something for me because it was how do you let the parents know that they're important, let them know that they have healing powers for their baby, even if they don't have a medical degree. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the selfie show, you guys. It is September. I don't even know where the time is going. It is crazy. I, for whatever reason, September just like popped up on me this year. And um, as many of you know, I've made a couple posts about it. September is NICU Awareness Month. And it's kind of interesting because I actually feel like this particular podcast is a really big foundational reason of actually why I started this podcast to bring awareness to things like this. Michelle and I really dive deep. You guys, today you're going to learn about not only Finn the Panda, her amazing product, but you're also going to really deep dive with Michelle as a NICU mom. And there's so many reasons why I wanted to bring her on here today. Not only is she this crazy, amazing entrepreneur, but she's also has this perspective of what it's like to go through quite possibly the hardest part of a mom's life. And just so it happens, we are in the month where we bring awareness to that. So this is National Neonatal Intensive Care Awareness Month. So basically, this is a month where we really seek to increase the awareness of the challenges that we face in the NICU setting. And this is just really a way for us to offer help, expand resources, get more information and education across the country. This is just a way for us to really honor our families who are experiencing their stays in the NICU and also the healthcare professionals who are caring for them. Okay, and you know me, I like to deep dive on everything and I really wanted to know where this whole NICU Awareness Month started. Okay, so it was started by Project Sweet Peas. This is a national nonprofit organization who it's actually coordinated by volunteers. And these are people who are just very passionate about providing support to families of premature or sick infants. And so they created this month and they've teamed up with other organizations, the National Perinatal Association, um, and they want to help basically raise funds to support families, doctors, and nurses. And many of you who have been following with me on Instagram for years, you know this. I am very, very passionate about this. I think it was about two years ago now, I teamed up with Brave Beginnings. That is a nonprofit organization who helps raise funds for NICUs who need equipment. So things like ventilators, isolates, stethoscopes, blenders. These are all things that are quite expensive and not every NICU has the yearly budget to buy these pieces of equipment. And so this is a nonprofit that actually helps to support NICUs in need. And you guys, one in nine babies is born prematurely. That is a staggering number to me personally. 
And there is a lot of research going into this right now, but I will say it's a very, very high number. And Michelle, like so many moms out there, has experienced what a NICU is like and has gone through these crazy emotional roller coasters. And I think this is really not something that we talk about nearly enough. It's not like the sexy part of NICU, right? It's like not the part that we really want to highlight. And, but I think it's really a really vital part that we need to be talking about. And I think it's good to hear it from a mom who's been there. And not only that, a mom who wants to give back and start this whole amazing company where the foundation, the core of it is to actually help NICU parents who are in the exact same position that she was. So today you're going to be hearing from Michelle Armstrong. She is the founder of Finn the Panda. She's an ex-NICU mom, an entrepreneur, and also a NICU advocate. She's really on a mission to make the world a better place, one NICU parent at a time. So for many of you who are following me over on Insta, this is actually not a new product to you. You have seen this. So I have done a giveaway with Finn. I have also featured them as a product on my blog. And now I I really want you to hear her story. I really wanted to bring her on the podcast. I wanted you to hear from the founder and hear this first of all, amazing Nikki product, but I really wanted you to hear her story. And I was truly so thrilled to get her on the podcast today, you guys. I love getting founders, innovators, entrepreneurs on this podcast because I just love hearing how many amazing things are really going on here in the healthcare space. You guys, her product, Finn the Panda, is being stocked in hospitals now. It's just really amazing to see what people can do when life gives you lemons and they're making lemonade. That's just, I love that. I love that energy. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Okay, Michelle, so I'm so excited to have you here today. You and I have had this really fun sort of behind the scenes I would say friendship, relationship. And I don't know, I was always just, I was just drawn to you very early because of your story and this amazing product that you've created. But I love backstories, obviously. So for those uh, listeners who don't know you, can you give a little bit about your background and your journey and what led you to this point? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm originally a California native. That's why we almost met. Oh, hey. Pre-COVID. Yes. We were supposed to do this in person. I just wanted we to lay were. that out there. We were going to do it literally the week that COVID hit. Yeah, I was headed to LA and I was like, just kidding. I got to go home. Yes. Um, so yeah, originally from California, moved up to Washington about 12 years ago. Um, to be closer to my, I guess you could call them high school sweetheart, but we lived two states away and took us about nine years. Um, and now we currently are living in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We have two boys, James, who's five, and Finn, who is three. And so I want to sort of fast forward to your pregnancy number one, pregnancy number two. Like, let's get a full picture there and because I don't think anyone can really prepare you for the NICU. You had, talk to us about your experiences, your pregnancies. 
Um, well, I've actually had three pregnancies, which isn't um, common knowledge uh, to a lot of people. But my first pregnancy, I had a, a late-term loss. Um, and so I was familiar with the idea that pregnancy didn't always go perfectly and like you imagined it. Um, but I was still very hopeful and trusted my body and um, thought that I could have a good experience. And so my son, James, he was actually born at home. Um, I went through midwife care and he was a great easy pregnancy, born in five hours in the living room, exactly what you want. Um, fast forward to Finn <laughs> and pretty Here much go. it felt like anything that could go wrong did. Um, I had a first trimester miscarriage scare in California getting on a plane. Um, we had, Whoa, I had placenta scary. previa, it was. Holy um, smokes which moved me out of midwife care and into doctor care, which in the end ended up saving both our lives. Um, so placenta previa ended up being a blessing. So I was scheduled for a C-section at 36 weeks. So I was going to get a tour of the NICU. I was going to get prepared for all that. And then at 32 weeks, I um, started to have just what I considered indigestion, called my doctor she said you know take some tums or whatever and if it's still bugging you tomorrow let us know um well very long story short i went in and i was just lying in the bed kind of feeling better because i was in a better position eating a sandwich and a nurse came in and took my blood and came back probably five minutes later and literally said and i quote um you're very sick right now and you don't realize it if we don't get the baby out you both are gonna die which is absolutely crazy to me because, okay, so I'm going to give a picture to all of the listeners out there. You guys, Michelle is this, you're very fit. You are, you're beautiful. Um, but what I'm getting at is you're, you're very healthy, right? It's like uh -huh. you are this person that I think, you know, you're planning for your pregnancy and you're doing everything right. And you're doing everything that what your doctors were telling you to and this happens. So you went into preterm labor? No. So I had preeclampsia and preeclampsia. actually okay. help syndrome. Um, yes. And so because... Which is rare, but it does happen. And I actually, I didn't realize that, but that's even more reason I'm glad you're talking about this today. Yeah. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So I didn't have any of the um, indicators to have preeclampsia. I wasn't being watched for it. I actually had low blood pressure as opposed to high at any point in my pregnancy. I had literally just been in for my checkup appointment on Monday and started the indigestion feeling on Wednesday. So, you know, my urine was tested. I had no protein. I had no elevated blood pressure. It just came on incredibly quickly and um, incredibly intense. Um, HELP syndrome is an acronym for, which you probably know better than I do, but for basically all the things that are shutting down in your body. And mm -hmm. so um, unbeknownst to me, my body wasn't providing what I needed or what my baby needed. Um, and within getting to the hospital to when he was born, I think it was about four hours. It was a, we can't even wait for you to digest your sandwich. We're taking you in there, knocking you out and getting him out of there. So you went under general anesthesia. Yeah. They did a crash C-section on you. Yeah. I just was. Give and, a picture of that. What was that like? I mean. It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I mean, like, yeah, they are. They are. I'll tell you from my end of it for parents, like I, we give so little time to even digest that. Yeah. 
yeah, I, um, they tested my blood again to see if they could give me like an, even an hour or something to digest the sandwich that I'd been eating. Um, my then two and a half year old son was in the room with us. I got that news from the nurse and it wasn't delivered lightly. And so I just, you know, immediately started crying. Um, I'm taken into the room, you know, you're naked, you're shaved, you're lying on the table and it's just the scariest thing ever. And I remember a nurse stayed with me and she just stayed in my ear while I was crying. And I'm hearing these weird things. Like I heard it was an anesthesiologist's birthday that day. And I was looking at two nurses cleaning up over by the sink. And I was looking at her earrings thinking they were cute, but also simultaneously <laughs> like crying and freaking out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then another surprise from that pregnancy was we were told that it was a girl at 20 weeks. Turned out it was a boy. <laughs> so I come out of my C-section. My husband says, you know, I'm, I'm out of it. But he said, he, baby's okay. It's a boy. And I'm like, it's just everything has blown up in my world. And I'm also on drugs. So it's <laughs> so many things, so many things happening in that moment that you've just completely lost any kind of control you thought you had and you're faced with a long journey. Did ahead. you, did you end up in the ICU or were you okay afterwards? I was not okay. Um, I had five transfusions. Transfusions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not okay for a few days and then I, I got okay. Um, yeah. maybe. and, and I think that's the hard part. It's like my body healed pretty quickly, um, came back around from what I was experiencing and then he still had to heal and get better. Um, and I think that was probably one of the hardest things in the NICU is he wasn't doing as well as they would have expected a 32 weeker. Um, and you know, now that I'm kind of in the NICU world and I see people telling their stories, it's like born at 32 weeks, spent, you know, 14, 15, 16 days in the NICU. And I'm like 57, 57 days. It's a long time. So, and yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Every NICU experience is so different. And I think that's actually the hard part about for me, going into this blogger world with NICU, I find myself being, the longer I'm a nurse, the the harder it is actually to sort of talk about the NICU because every baby and every patient is so different and every parent is so different. And every reaction is so different. And so let's deep dive into what your experience was like. So let's talk like day one what was this like for you? I know he's admitted to the to the unit, right? And you couldn't mm-hmm. even see him. No, I mean, I, I do remember they wheeled me over in the bed to just kind of get even with his incubator. Um, and I was able to reach my finger in. Um, I remember they had to keep reminding me not to stroke him because his skin was so sensitive. Um, and then I was taken to my room and I, I just started to do anything that I could. Um, so I tried to pump and I tried to eat healthy food and nourish my body and kind of bring me back from the physical state that I'd been so that I could be there for him and do something for him. Um, I think I ended up staying five days and I remember like asking for one more cause I didn't want to leave my baby. Little did I know that it was going to be 52 more days. Um, and yeah, I mean, every day it's what they say. It's a roller coaster. Again, being 32 weeks, they had him on CPAP to start, but pretty quickly moved him 
um, onto cannula and then tried room air. I think just the expectation of what normal 32-weekers would be doing, and he immediately regressed and had a really hard time and went back onto CPAP and then back onto the cannula. And um, they kept thinking that maybe he was younger than he was, but I was certain of his due date and conception and all that. And so it was kind of this, um, I just was in fight mode constantly, if that makes sense. It's like the trauma happened and you get into that fight or flight mode and then I just never came out of it for 57 days. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of speaking to that directly. So first of all, I want to say kind of like a funny thing. It sounds like the wimpy white boy syndrome. had. Oh my gosh, I heard that so much. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I'm tired of hearing this, but that is literally a NICU thing, you guys. It's a NICU thing. Okay, don't come at me. But Mm -hmm. there is this thing we call, it's called wimpy white boy syndrome. And it's just when these boys, it's specifically almost always boys. And they just, for whatever reason, like can't get it together. Like they just don't want to come off CPAP or they don't want to come off of nasal cannula. And we always try and prep parents for, you know, in those transitions, like, okay, so this is our next step. But just so you know, sometimes things don't always go that way. And I don't know if that's how you were prepped because every experience is different. Every provider is different, obviously every, you know, but it it's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. The NICU is such a roller coaster. It's just, you know, you're going to go up, you're going to take three steps forward and two back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, something that I think that will resonate with so many NICU moms, and to be honest, isn't really something that we talk about at all, is the idea of NICU PTSD. And sort of what, you know, you went through as a mom. Can you maybe deep dive into that a little bit? Well, it's very real. (laughs) Um, And I think that, you know, like I said, I was in that fight mode. Um, And as an everyday person, like if I'm out shopping or out to dinner or engaging with people in the world, I'm not a Karen. (laughs) I'm very nice and friendly usually, but I was a bit of a Karen in the (laughs) And I, I think I got a bad reputation. Um, I, I really connected with a few very special nurses and then I was probably a pain in the butt to a lot of other ones because I, I didn't want them to do something unless I understood it. And I had questions and I had preferences of who was with my baby because I saw how he responded to them. And I put in requests to the managers and I asked all the questions and I did all the things. And I was honestly probably a real pain in the butt for a lot of times. <laughs> I read like the whole book on prematurity by Dr. Sears while I was there. And I'm like, okay, so what does this mean and this mean? And a bit of a Karen. Um, that's fine. You're allowed. You were <laughs> if you're ever going to be one, it's like, that's, that's, that's the time to be a Karen. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, that is something that I have been trying to advocate for is that, you know, obviously the most important job is keep baby alive. That's the nurses focus, the doctors focus, you know, the nurses are the ones with them for 12 hours eight hours, whatever it might be. Doctors are kind of in and out, but you realize, you know, that's their main job. But secondarily would be, I think that family centered care. And that's why Finn the Panda even became something for me because it was, how do you let the parents know that they're important? Let them know that they have healing powers for their baby, even if they don't have a medical degree and just 
you know, the baby's not supposed to be separate from the mom, so to not yet treat them as separate, if that makes sense. You know, they're supposed to be one, and yet, you know, for good reason, sometimes you're not allowed to hold them. Like, how heart-wrenching is that to not be able to hold your own baby or to be told, okay, I think that's enough because, you know, we're starting to see more Brady's and stuff like this. It's like, how can we better speak to the family as a unit as opposed to just the baby? Because at the end of that NICU state, the baby's going home with the family and they have to have bonded. They have to have that feeling of like, okay, I can do this. I have been a part of this journey. Mm-hmm. If that what's, makes sense. What's one thing you wish you had known going into the NICU? I think one thing would have been to try to let go of that fight mode a little bit. Um, I think if I had been able to heal myself a little bit, if I had been able to um, just feel like it was okay a little bit more, which I don't know if you can even get that, um, but maybe take some more time for myself in some way mentally um, and get that kind of support that... I would have been able to hand, handle the stresses of everyday NICU life a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, if you were to speak to healthcare providers directly, do you have a tip for them on how to help their families through this process? Like, what's a tip you can give them? I'd say um, as much as you can, try to read the parents. Um, and if you can't read them very well, just flat out ask them. Um, you know, are you the kind of parent that you're going to get comfort from information to understand what's going on with your baby and understand the science behind it and, and why we're doing this? And, or are you the kind of parent who's going to be totally overwhelmed and you don't want all that information thrown at you? Um, you know, bringing them into the process, having them change the diaper, having them be a part of it, but also being sensitive to the fact like, Hey, if you want to sleep through the next care, I understand that too, because you're here 24 hours a day or, you know, 12 hours a day and I'm here for a shift. So I think just being sensitive to their position and their role in the care of their child um, is the biggest thing to me. You know, the nurses that I personally bonded with the most and that I loved seeing their name on my child's care were the ones who were right in there with me in it. You know, the nurse who he had to have something looked at, she literally printed out a picture of his heart and the vessels and highlighted and explained it to me. And then it was like, oh, okay, I understand that. I feel more comfortable with this procedure now. And that helped me. For another mom, it might not, but I think at least being willing to be that to the parent. Can you take us through Finn's milestones and walk us through like the NICU journey that he went through? Yeah, um, as best as I can remember. Um, I know. I'm sure it's like all fog, right? We don't talk about that either. I feel like so many moms really like you probably you black out. You're like, this is like coping mechanism. And I don't want to remember this. I mean, as much as you guys love us. And I know I have so many moms that I I love them and I still keep in touch with them. And they're amazing. But I would imagine you like black out. You're like, I don't even remember. And I kept running into his NICU nurses, like, after the fact. Like, my husband and I would go on a date night. We went to go see a play, and, like, a whole group of the NICU nurses were there. And we're like, so good to see you, but also, like, I don't want to be thinking about that right now. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, I don't want to be doing that on my date night. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, 
so yeah, he, like I said, he started on CPAP, went to the cannula, went back to CPAP, back to the cannula. Breathing was really his biggest struggle. Um, his lungs were his, his weakest point. And then, um, they, they did more tests on him again, thinking that something more could have been going on just because he wasn't getting to his Coming milestones. Coming off the respiratory the support. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I do remember like the doctor who really impacted me again, because I was a Karen, we had a, a meeting <laughs> at it. a point yeah. um, with his team and just kind of getting us all on the same page. And I hadn't requested it, but one of the doctors had suggested it. And then another doctor was there to facilitate it. And essentially what she said is we just need to give him time. You know, it was a miracle that he was even born breathing, considering what his last 72 hours in the womb had been. And so she stopped poking him and prodding him and just let him take the time that he needed. And that's when he really started to make progression towards being able to get off the cannula. We did do caffeine at the end, which I see a lot mm. of Nikki moms joke about because it's like, don't drink coffee while you're pregnant. Yeah, and but then you're like, like Let's here we are giving a three-pound yeah. baby up with a bunch of caffeine <laughs> to get him to breathe. Yeah, um, life hack. Yeah. yeah, and my yeah. husband and I, you know, as intense as it was and um, as much in that fight mode we were in, our coping mechanism was a lot to laugh about it and a little bit of dark humor oh my god girl that's how we survive it is and anybody else who heard the jokes they're like this is terrible and we're like it's fine (laughs) you're like I swear you get so immune to it I I think that is a thing it's like in the NICU you do have this sick sense of humor because that's literally how we cope yeah and the nurses you know they would um you know sometimes flick his feet or yeah vigorously to get him to breathe and cry and they were always like I'm sorry you know it looks like we're hurting him but it's really not and we're like my husband said hey cry don't die like yeah, yeah. that's our, <laughs> our phrase <laughs> right that'll be the merch merch drop cry don't die <laughs> yeah we did when we left we had a, a cake made a white cake and on it in red I wrote cry don't die oh my <laughs> god to the nurses. I love um, that so yeah. you know we did we did make it um, survivable, you know? Yeah. With that if you stuff. could, um, speak to your nurses right now directly, just like off the cuff, like, is there anything you'd want to tell them? Um, thank you for keeping my child alive. Um, and probably sorry, I was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think every NICU mom has those moments. So don't feel bad. That is, that's what yeah. we deal with, right? That's like part yeah. of our job. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I I would love to see that relationship to be, you know, more symbiotic or whatever you want to call it, to where it really does feel like you're working together. And like I said, with some, that's totally what it was. Um, We had one we nicknamed the angel. Like, we couldn't remember her name, but she was, like, six and a half feet tall, and she just would, like, come in, and Finn would just stop crying, and Mm. he would always feed really well with her at night, and we're like, we got the angel tonight. (laughs) This is NICU mama. NICU mama. I love that. I was dubbed um, mom 2.0 by one of my most favorite babies. I was, like, she was my baby, and I, like, loved her, and, you know, it's just, you get those moments and those bonds, and... I think it is really important for, you know, parents and to hear this, you know, and who knows, 
I would hope that one day maybe you could touch directly to a NICU mom. Do you have some tangible tips for a parent who's going through the NICU right now? Just some things that you could leave with them. Yeah, I'd say ask for help um, is a big one. I know it's hard for everybody to ask for help, but in a time like this, if you have other kids, um, anybody at home that needs extra care, food, I totally took my friends up on delivering food, taking me out to lunch, bringing food by, um, hanging out with my older son. I had friends flying out from California and New York to just come be, and anybody who offered it, it was just, yes, yes, please. Um, and let people know what you need because, you know, people will often say like, call if you need anything. And it's like, well, I need (laughs) food and sleep and a shower. And, um, I'd also say it does, you know, it's, it's not the ideal way to bring a baby into this world. Um, but I said, you know, when I couldn't hold you in my belly anymore, I held you in my arms and you're still, you're still the mom, you're still the dad, you're still bringing them into this world is just taking a little longer and a little harder um, than you expected. And I think perspective is everything. When I was having a really hard time, uh, there was a mom there that she was like my polar opposite. Like we had to wait at these doors to get in to see our kids. And um, we're both standing there and she comes in in like heels and her makeup done and her hair curled. And I'm literally like sweats and all haggard and just like, uh, I'm not surviving. Yeah. And every morning it was this. So I asked my nurse, I said, who is that woman? And she's like, yeah. oh, the Disney princess. <laughs> I'm like, yes. She has a name. She has a nickname. She yeah, earned the it. animals come to her window and they sing songs to her and oh she's my God. and she's like and she's not faking. She literally is that happy all the time. And so I was like, Will you ask her if she'll come talk to me and like tell me what her secret is? Um and she basically just had a lot of gratitude. Like she said to me, you know, how many moms get to just spend hours a day holding their second child uninterrupted? And I'm like, yeah, not how I that's was feeling. Cool sper- that's a cool perspective. Yeah. That's but really cool. Yeah. I was like, okay, just thinking about it a little bit differently. And she, this was, I learned her second preemie. And so she kind of knew to give herself those breaks. She's like, you know, I come in in the morning for the rounds. I get through that. We, I hold him for the eight hours. We do skin to skin. We try nursing. We do all these things. Then my husband comes after work and then we go home and we sleep and we eat and we shower and we take care of our other child and you know allowing yourself to do that and trust these well-trained um high-paid babysitters (laughs) you know to to take care of your child yeah Um, yeah and I think that's something also you know as far as we don't really always conceptualize that or think about it right like I I think as NICU nurses or as providers doctors RTs like the whole gamut all of us we just really don't even sometimes think about all those aspects and I think it's like it's almost kind of like coping like it's kind of like you just you almost have to just keep going forward and you have to just have this mindset but I think it is a really good or important part to, you know, help our parents in the way that they need to or tailor it to the way that they need to. And, you know, not every kind of like you're saying, like, not every personality is going to get along with every single person, like every Nick, Mm -hmm. every nurse has does something differently, every doctor cares for them differently. I mean, when you're talking about the NICU specifically, also, 
you know, we have neonatologists, nurse practitioners, nutritionists, psychologists, therapists. We have respiratory therapists, social workers, case managers, um, pharmacists, child life, lactation. You know, there's so many different teams that you're seeing and so many mm-hmm. different people and personalities. Um, but I think it is important to really think about it as a whole. And, you know, I think that is a big, big piece of it. And, you know, it's fine if you're a Karen. You're allowed to have your moments. Um, something else I wanted to touch on really quick is, you know, and I think there's – I'm talking about it more and more with the NICU is prematurity is on the rise, right? One in nine babies is born premature. And what absolutely baffles my mind is I still feel like we're in this place where I don't think women are supported in the way of um, what to do in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. Like we're not teaching women or talking to them about, hey, you know, if something happened, like this is, these are just some things you can expect. You know, we're not prepping women for, you know, when you get on the airplane, AKA when you're pregnant, if something happened, here's what you do in case of emergency. And it's mm-hmm. shocking to me because we have one in nine. I mean, you are not alone, right? Like mm-hmm. so many women are in your shoes, which is, it baffles my mind. I mean, that is a huge number. There's a staggering number of babies that end up in the NICU. And th- so that specific number I'm talking about is babies who are born prior to 37 weeks. So mm-hmm. prematurity prior to 37 weeks. But there's a whole other list of factors of why babies could be also admitted to the NICU. So I'm talking complications of prematurity. So that's one, birth ana- uh, anomalies, brain injuries from birth trauma, cardiac conditions, infections, jaundice, genetic conditions, um, disorders, mitochondrial disorders. So that's more of the metabolic diseases, NAS, which is neonatal abstinence syndrome from mamas who are suffering from uh, substance abuse, RH incompatibility. You guys, the list goes on and on. And it's, it is crazy to me that I feel like Women are just not prepped for this or we're not really, I don't know. Is there anything that you feel like you could have, someone could have told you or do you think that should have been something that, you know, you were supported in? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you can never fully be prepared for the NICU, um, but I certainly could have been more prepared. Um, having been in midwife care and then moving to doctor care because I already was at risk, um, I feel like there should have been a lot more conversation around what that would look like, um, whether it was early delivery from placenta previa or just talking about all the other complications that could happen in pregnancy. And again, I think, you know, if you look at somebody and they look healthy to you, maybe you're not looking for signs of preeclampsia or um, blood sugar issues or these things because you're just saying, oh, they look like a healthy individual. But really, there can be these fluke circumstances. There could be somebody who has an incompetent cervix or, you know, whatever it is goes just into preterm delivery. And to know that that's even an option out there. I think for me personally, all the moms that were around me were having beautiful home births. I had had a home birth. That was what was normal. So then to be the one in the hospital and to have all this happen to me, I felt like such an outsider to 
what it pregnancy and birth is supposed to look like. Um, but in reality, one in nine, <laughs> you know, that's not... Yeah, it's staggering. It's yeah. staggering. And you're not, you know, there's not something wrong with you. Your body didn't fail you. Um, this is, you know, I think about back in the olden days, it's like we wouldn't have lived. We wouldn't have survived. But this stuff happened all the time still. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I think if there can be more education and I'm sure a lot of moms probably don't even want to hear about it, you know, when they're in pregnancy. Yeah, but here's the thing, and I this is my my umbrella thought on it. It's it's going back to that idea of you don't get on an airplane without having your what to do in case of emergency moment. And yeah. I think we need to have that conversation. I agree. You know, I mean, so here's the thing. Outside of women who have are not controlling their health so i'm talking like uncontrolled diabetes and hypertension and you're just not healthy so there's one factor or the women who are substance abusing um and or not treating infections like hepatitis or not hepatitis but um herpes and things like that so that that's one clump of women that end up, their babies end up in the NICU but there is a whole huge gamut of women who are just like you who are very healthy and that do have babies that end up in the NICU. And mm-hmm. there is, like you said, there's literally, we don't have good scientific resource, research, evidence, understanding of why. Why mm-hmm. is this happening? We don't know. We can't give you an answer. And I know that's the biggest thing where it's so frustrating when women hear that of like, why did this happen? And, mm-hmm. you know, we can't give that definitive. This is why. This is the diagnosis. You know, we can't do that. But um, like I said, like I feel like, you know, we're not talking about this enough. Like, how do we, you know, one, either prepare or support, you know, and, you know, sort of get this awareness. And here we have a whole month of September mm-hmm. for this whole topic, which I think is really awesome to be able to bring awareness to it and to make women or, you know, feel that they're not alone. And especially women, I, mean, I know dads kind of go through this as well. But, you know, when you're the one carrying the baby, I'm sure your emotions and your just everything you're going through is so deep. And I think we're the ones who are feeling everything. And so we're the ones who, you know, I was the one who eventually had to make the call, like, we're going to the hospital, you know, and my husband's making sandwiches. I'm like, no, we're going now. And I don't know what changed, but it was like, okay, this isn't indigestion. This is something more. If I had known, okay, here are three major issues that can happen in pregnancy and preeclampsia, it's this feeling here. It can start just feeling like indigestion and then you'll feel it move. You know, just these little two minute conversations that could have put something in my brain of like, okay, this is more than just a discomfort because pregnancy comes with so much of that, right? You're like, what is this feeling and what is this? But if there's just like, you know, a sheet, here's in case of emergency, if you feel this feeling, this is very specific. It's like appendicitis, which I've had. <laughs> you, yeah. there's certain things like this is a stomach ache and this is appendicitis. If it's right in this location and you can't lift yourself up off the ground without using your arms and these things to look for, you need to get to the hospital because it's a silly weird thing that happens to some people, but you could die. <laughs> so in pregnancy, here's some silly weird things that may just seem like another ache or pain, but if you don't address it, you could die. These should probably be addressed. It's a, it's definitely that balance too of like not wanting to um, scare women. Mm-hmm. Like I get that too. I understand some people kind of like you said, like they don't want to know or they want to, but here's the thing. 
at the end of the day, if you're going to be a parent, if you're mm-hmm. going to, if you're pregnant and you're going to be a parent, I feel like you, you should want to know, or you at least should have the, the power of knowledge to know what to do in case of emergency. I just, that's like my biggest thing. And I feel like we're just not preparing women at all for it. And the amount of women I see across the board who are always so, you know, disheartened and, you know, really struck and just beside themselves and had no idea that this could even happen is, mm-hmm. you know, I see, we, of course, it's what I do and I see it over and over, but I do think I'm glad for these moments like I can speak to you and you can maybe share something with someone that they could take away from or learn a little bit more about it and feel empowered like my whole point here is to really empower women and moms and what I love that you have done you really turned lemons into lemonade girl and that's why I actually really wanted to bring you on here because you really turned your situation into something that I think could help so many moms dads parents caretakers whoever is taking care of this baby so much more and i love it so let's talk about finn if there's issues i want a solution ptsd anxiety frustration all these things that we battle every day are such a real aspect of our lives especially for nicu parents And this is just something we obviously don't talk about enough, but I want to give you guys this as a resource, better help. There's really no better time to be talking about this. And I'm going to get right to the point here, people. If you or someone you know is struggling, I have the solution for you right here, better help. So this is making professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life's challenges can really get the help that they need anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp is an online therapy program that is just as effective, if not more, because of its convenience, you guys. It is in the palm of your hands, in your phone. With over 7,000 accredited experienced counselors, BetterHelp takes you through a three-minute series of questions to personalize your experience, and they fit a therapist to your needs and your preferences. They're staffed with licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors, you guys. This is amazing, it's convenient, and it's affordable. This is honestly probably one of the best resources I can offer to you guys, the Selfie Podcast listeners. If you guys want to try it out today, head over to betterhelp.com forward slash C-E-L-L-F-I-E for 10% off of your first month. All right, you guys, let's get back to the show. Well, his story kind of started after we got home from the NICU. you know, we had some of the normal struggles, feeding, having him put weight on, breastfeeding. Um, and then four months after getting home, he got RSV and oh, no. went back into ICU. Um, we actually were, like, released after a few days, went home, and he wasn't breathing in the night and rushed a blue baby into ICU. And um, that affected me a lot more than our NICU stay. I think with the NICU, you know, it drove me crazy that there wasn't an answer why this happened to me, to us, but it was like, okay, like it happened. I can't explain it. 
Um, but I kind of was at peace with, it wasn't my fault. It was something that happened in my body that I didn't have control over. But with the RSV, I had a ton of guilt. I just felt like I should have protected him from that. I felt like I took too many liberties in putting him around people. And I was angry and frustrated and felt guilty. So every bad feeling out there in my head rolling around at 2 a.m., and finally, one night, I like drank a bottle of wine <laughs> and pump and dumped <laughs> and just lied in bed. And I was like, need God, I need somewhere else to put my energy and my thoughts because this is not serving me. This is not serving my family. I just feel yeah. like a crap mom. And Aww. I know it's not true. I know this stuff happens. Um but I couldn't shake that feeling. And so it was like, okay, what can I do with my brain space that will do good? And that's when I got the idea to create um, a stuffed animal that could help in the bonding and comfort of the child with their parents, even when they can't always be together. Um, so it took me about a year for development um, getting the idea right. I, you know, initially want to start with a lion, um, but you know, the mane and all the hairs wouldn't work in the incubator. And so doing different studies, reading through research, meeting with physical therapists that we had in the hospital and nurses, um, and finally getting that all together. And that was also my year of kind of healing. Um, the PTSD you mentioned, it's you know, I stayed in that fight mode, I think for like a year, basically, because after the RSV, it was like, I was always looking at him waiting for the next thing, um, to happen and the next rush off to the hospital or whatever it was going to be. And so I just had stayed in that fight mode. Um, so being able to develop the Panda, to start writing my story, to start, verbalizing it um, and processing it for myself and kind of making peace with it. Then by the time at a year when the bears arrived and I started communicating with other moms, I was in a much better place to serve them and help them because I'd done my own healing. Um, so yeah, we've had Finn the Panda out for about a year and a half now. And um, I think the biggest success has just been in that relationship with the parents and being able to connect. I don't know what I was doing when I was in the NICU, but I I wasn't finding a support team. And, you know, I'm on there now and I'm like, oh, you women are so smart to search hashtag NICU and right. find people. You know, it's crazy. Well, and I, you know, maybe it, it's much more of a thing now, I think, because he was in the NICU. What year was it? Uh, it was three years ago, so 2017. So even then, I'm going to tell you, like, it wasn't as much of a thing. I mean, I started NICU blogging um, two, two and a half years ago, okay. and there was no one. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, there mm -hmm. wasn't. Like, I, I was probably, I started my first, like, NICU post, or, like, when I started really talking about it, was, like, 2018, beginning of 2018, end of 2017. It wasn't a thing. So I, yeah. I will say now women, and I think that's a big tip for everybody is like search those hashtags and, mm -hmm. you know, connect with people. I think there's plenty of moms out there on Instagram. There's plenty of resources now. I think we're talking about it a lot more. But to your to your um, point, I think that is a really great thing is to have that 
sort of support system or to kind of learn from moms and hear their stories. And um, so I want to know, like, why did you choose a panda? What was the panda like thought process here? I think the main thing about the panda where I initially chose it was the black and white. Um, it being simple and appealing to baby's early vision. Um, so I read research studies that if you put a black and white image in the crib and the incubator, that they'll stare at it, I think, five to seven times longer than something of color, like pastels or even vibrant colors. Um, I later found out that the panda is the smallest mammal born and that it spends Cute. like the first month in the den with its mom absorbing her body heat and like doesn't even go outside so I was like oh he's like the little preemie um, perfect <laughs> the wild it's very on brand <laughs> yeah so that that was just a bonus I learned later Cute. from a book that was actually given to us in the NICU um mm. I brought home and was reading to my older son at some point so that's why the black and white break down the panda break Finn down for us like what are okay. all the benefits of of him so it all started with personal experience and what I saw helped my Finn um so I would do the breast pads um to have your milk smell on there and you know I'd wear them all day when I was there with him and then I'd leave him in the incubator when I left at night um, but often I would come in and they'd been dropped on the floor so they weren't sanitary anymore or they'd just been scooped up with a diaper. So I made um, a cloth one. And a lot of hospitals have the cloth ones they gift, but ours didn't. The um, scent cloths. Is the scent, you, yeah. cloths. scent yeah. cloths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one has a heart scent cloth and it reattaches to the panda. So you can... Um, wear it, carry it around, and then reattach it, reattach just the bottom so that it's still close to their head or take it off, but it's more distinguishable than, you know, a, a paper cloth or something. Um, and then the other aspect is a recording device. So I used my phone. Um, I would have my two and a half year old at home who couldn't meet him yet sing lullabies and I'd bring it in. Um, at the end when I was staying 24 hours a day and sleeping in and he had to do safe sleep and didn't have um, all his normal comforts, I would sing to him constantly. And so I ended up recording this one lullaby and my ho my voice was hoarse and I would just press play on it. Or I had to run to the bathroom and he would literally know I left. And so I'd press play <laughs> and have it playing for him. Um, Babies somehow know that. They're just so, they know. They totally Well, and know. It's, it's pretty amazing, you know, that I could tell that, you know, he knew my smell and when I walked in compared to one of the nurses and when it was my touch versus their touch. And, you know, when he had blood draws or even diaper changes drove him crazy, I would get down close to his ear and sing the same song over and over again. And the nurses all knew it. They knew how he reacted to it. Um, and I, I directly saw that correlation with my voice and his heart rate lowering and him calming down. And I went on to research that and it literally can be a recording. They have tests of it being a recording of mom's voice, not actually her voice and having their, um, heart rate go down their cortisol levels, the stress hormone go down, um, and do better in the NICU overall. Um, so those are the pieces, the sight, the smell, the sound. Um, and then he was antimicrobially treated for safety and he comes in a closed package so that, um, it's minimized exposure for, for being in the NICU. How long does the recording, how long can you record for? 
It records up to a minute um, and then it can be played back once or on repeat. Uh, the idea for repeat was we had, what did they call them, cuddlers or something there, but a lot of times yeah. mm-hmm. moms would prefer that they didn't hold their baby or their baby wasn't in a safe place to be held. And so they were always kind of looking for something to do. So you'd hear this baby crying down the hall and a nurse is with another baby. And I thought, well, at least they could go down and press play and the baby could be comforted by hearing mom's voice on repeat until the nurse had a chance to get over to him. Um or, you know, you need to run to the bathroom, just plus repeat and yeah. have it keep going for, for while you're gone. So I like to get very specific on how to implement things. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, and some hospitals are pretty strict. So I wanted to talk about this with you because I think there are, this is, I love your product. And I think there's so many ways we can implement it. But if if parents or someone was to meet barriers from the hospital, do you have suggestions of how to implement Panda, Mr. Finn? You know, if you have an older baby, 37, 38, 39 weeks, um, there usually isn't many issues with it. Um, their hearing is more developed and, you know, there's usually just less barriers. If you have a younger gestation baby maybe 26 27 28 weeks where their ears are still developing and the sound could be an issue or you know whatever might be the rules of the hospital we've had just where let's say mom's not there dad's not there and nurse comes in for cares well then she can bring the panda down into the crib or the incubator during cares where it's supervised Um, the recording device, there's a decibel app that we recommend on our website so that you can record on it and then make sure that it's below a certain decibel, depending on the age of your baby. Love that tip. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. For the little ones, it's almost like a whisper, but you know how quiet a NICU is supposed to be. I mean, it's not always quiet. Well, that's not always the case, is it? No, (laughs) it's definitely not. But they try to keep it peaceful and quiet. And so Mm -hmm. the initial recordings can just be almost at a whisper. um, And then they can get louder as your baby gets older. Um, But, you know, there were so many times I would run in for, you know, the 6 a.m. blood draw and only to find out that, oh, the nurse did it at five because this and this got moved around. And so if she had at least had been the panda nearby she could have played my voice she could have had the scent nearby and that comforting association could have been there with them yeah and I'll say this too so um you know for any of my NICU nurses listening for any um parents listening I feel like there's a lot of NICU nurses actually um I think this is a great gift and you can definitely implement it so a lot of times you know, you can't have them in the isolates, at least where I work, you can't, but there's plenty of times you can put it, you know, right near the bed. And like you said, you can do it during care times. Maybe the baby is getting OT or PT. You can play mom's voice if mom's not there. Um, I love the scent cloth because it attaches to thin. And I think it's actually a really nice way to keep it organized because sometimes those scent cloths will go everywhere and then they'll end up on the ground or, you know, whatever. So Mm -hmm. I actually think that's a really good way to do it. If you're just playing with baby, a really great thing is just to hold fin over the baby so they can just look at it and just sort of get that kind of like what you're saying, like that stare sort of kind of fixate on it and start turning their eyes. And, um, you know, of course, there's the threshold of the super tinies where, you know, it wouldn't be so much so appropriate. But for babies who are starting to look around where, you know, the sight and the smell and the sound start becoming really, really important, they're all very important 
you know, throughout all gestation, but I do think there's a really great, this is such a great way to implement having moms feel like there's still a piece of them with their baby at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can do that as the nurses, we can really, and the RTs too. I know a lot of RTs like to kind of get in on all this too. So, um, you know, whether it's you're a doctor listening to this, an RT, a nurse, and you have a family that you really like, this would actually, I think would be a really great gift um, to anyone who's in the NICU right now. Or, you know, I, I think it's such a really special little moment that you can share with a family. Yeah. And I mean, that was kind of my dream for it. It was something that would be handed to the parents right when they came in. And that conversation starter of you're a part of this, you're important to the health and the growing of your baby. You do more for him than you realize. Um, And so letting them know that they're a part of it. And even, you know, there's parents who have to go back to work. There's parents who have other kids at home. If you can't be there every minute, um, I hear so much about the guilt, you know, that they have about having to leave their child, um, to feel like you're still there, that you're still part of it, that you're, you know, comforting him, even when you can't physically be there, um, was really the motivation behind developing him. And he grows with you, you know, it became my fins, um, just kind of comfort toy. And, you know, even when he had to go back and we had to get an x-ray, it's like, okay, we got x-rays on Finn the Panda first. And then Finn would do <laughs> his x-ray. And, you know, the first time we did an overnight, we recorded the lullabies that we sing for him for grandma to play back. And, you know, it it's supposed to be one of those things that starts with him there, but becomes just a comfort toy to them throughout their early childhood. Um, and we do have like the heart patch. When you leave, you can have your child's name embroidered on it. You can have NICU graduate embroidered on it and have it be kind of a keepsake from the time as well. Oh, that's really cute. I like that. So where can everybody find Finn the Panda? So our website is Finn and spelled out co-gifts.com. Um, and then same name on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Finn and Co. Gifts. And yeah, you can buy a bear, you can sponsor a bear, which is um, how kind of we, we got going was people would sponsor a bear and then I would deliver it to or mail it to a family in the NICU. Um, people who want to support our endeavor but maybe don't have a baby in the NICU or know a baby in the NICU. Um, and then we also have the heart patches and we're getting more things geared towards also moms coming as well. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, so b- before we head out, I really want to hear, do you have any like tips or tricks specifically for um, healthcare providers or something you can leave, a little nug you can leave with them um, prior to heading out? Just something you feel like is a little nugget you could leave with them. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it when you were listing all those people that work with your baby. You have the nurse, you have the doctors, you have the physical therapist, you have um, you know, all these different individuals. The one person that is always constant in the baby's care is the parent. Um, so the nurses who came in and you know, before they even looked at the doctor or to the other nurse looked at me and said, how's he doing? you know, what's the day been like? What's the week been like? I haven't seen him in a few days. What are we, what are we doing? It's like the parent is the one 
who's through that journey with them, through every individual that's coming in and caring for them. And I think, um, you know, taking a report from them will give you more information than other people in the hospital can and really does that family-centered care. Let's the mom, let's the dad know, hey, I care about your role in this. I care about what you know and what you're seeing that the people who are rotating through here maybe aren't seeing. Um, and the nurses who did that really made a big difference for me. I think that's a huge part, right? You know, I think developing that rapport with families, I, I think for me as a nurse, it took me, I would say a couple of years before I felt really confident in what I was doing and what I was saying. Because sometimes you can say things and then I would realize myself getting like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or, oh, I misspoke on something. And I think it just takes some time to really get that. But I think it is really important to really, you know, when you're starting to get to know these families and when these families are here with us for so long, you know, I agree. You're in the driver's seat. Baby, well, the real driver's seat is the baby. Yeah. Driver's seat is always baby. (laughs) Baby always tells us what's going to happen. But I do feel like really getting down to the importance of really bonding with those families and finding what works for them. And yeah, I think that's huge. And forgive the Karens. (laughs) We know not what we do. (laughs) We know not how horrible we are. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for going on. Before we head out, do you have a Netflix, a podcast, um, a book that you've really enjoyed um, that you could leave with our audience? Um, Sure. I guess the latest book I read, I'm looking for right now, is Pregnancy Brain. Oh my gosh, I love her. What's it, Dr. Perjat? I think I don't know how to pronounce it properly. She's amazing. But I bought that book for my cousin. Yes, and it it is very you know she does a great job of um, intertwining her personal story with um, what research shows and what she's learned and the tips that she's offering um, and you know, that PTSD experience is real and having fears moving forward and how to handle those. And, um, again, I guess just how powerful we are as the parent and what we can control, um, was really empowering to read. So really cool. That's actually funny. You bring that up because she's on my list of podcast guests. I'm going to try and get her, her on Cause here. I will listen. <laughs> okay. Cause she's on my list. Um, she, she actually did a takeover for me maybe last year or two years ago. Um, she came on and did like a, you know, talked about it, but she's been yeah. on my list of someone to bring on. So that makes me really excited because she's yeah. amazing. I think she's she wonderful. Is. Yeah. I, I really great. Read author. It cover to cover and, and got so much from it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Anybody can message me if you have any questions or need support or anything yeah. else. Hit her up on a DM, you guys. She is. She will answer all your DMs. And, you know, if you need a sounding board or you need some advice or anything, definitely head over to check Michelle out. So please do. And buy a Finn the Panda. Yes. <laughs> or <too>. sponsor. <laughs> or sponsor a Finn the Panda. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> thanks, Tori. Wait, before you go, I have something awesome for all of you. So Michelle has very generously offered to do a giveaway for a selfie podcast listener. All right, you guys, so this is for my NICU nurses. If you are a provider in the NICU or if you're a mom in the NICU right now, this is an awesome giveaway for you guys. So all you have to do is head over to her Instagram. That's at Finn Co. Gifts. That's F-I-N-N and Co. Gifts. And comment on her latest 
post. Let her know what you thought of this episode. What did you take away from it? What did you love hearing about her story? What really resonated with you? And that will enter you for the giveaway. So we're really excited to be bringing this to you guys. We just really wanted to be able to gift this to someone in need. So whether you are a provider and you have an associate or a primary who you really love, who you think would love this, or you're a mom in the NICU and you just really wanted to try this out, um, whether you're an attending, an RT, we really just wanted to be able to spoil someone who we felt like in this community could really use this panda right now. So Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you, Michelle, for teaming up for this giveaway. We're really excited about it. And to my amazing, beautiful, fabulous Selfie Podcast Squad, you guys, I love you. Holy smokes. This last week has been absolutely nutty. Many of you know this. We dropped our first real piece of merch, our masks. Yes, you can purchase a Selfie Podcast mask. So I have collabed with Brave Gowns, which is the company that I featured early on in the pandemic as one of the first companies that switched over to making masks. And we have collabed and created three different selfie podcast masks. So there's a white, a black, and a pink one. You can head over to bravegowns.com. You type in selfie in the search bar and it's right there. You can also look at my links in the bio. They are listed in both my Nurse Tori Instagram account as well as the selfie, C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast account. Just click on those. They are the first thing at the top. They are $12 made here in the USA. And it is our first real merch. And I am so excited. It's so cool. It's just thank you for all your support. You guys, the people who have been buying them, I just I want to say thank you because that really is a huge way to support our show. Those are the ways that, you know, help me to keep doing this, to bring you quality guests every week, to be able to do the back end research and really deep dive on all this. So I want to say thank you to you guys. Your support has been amazing. I'm loving all the texts, the DMs, the messages, the rates, the reviews. And many of you know this. If you leave a rate or a review for us on iTunes and you leave your Insta handle in the review, I will be sending you some selfie podcast swag. So I'm talking these super cute stickers and a selfie badge reel featuring Selena, our selfie icon. Make sure you guys are following us on our Insta at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find all of our episodes on www.tipsfromtory.com and swipe up. You guys check out these show notes below. They're filled with information about our guests and our sponsors. And you guys, thank you. I am so thankful for every single one of you. Thank you for your messages. I, it's just, I can't even tell you. And I'm very excited for what is coming in the next couple weeks. Um, I'm hoping we can get it everything, everything launched for you by the end of September officially. <gasps> So many fun things are coming and thank you guys. I just, you know, I love you guys. Catch you next time. 